Welcome to the Global Futures Podcast with me, Joel Sandu. On May 1st, 2019, American and Taliban negotiators began a new round of peace talks in Doha, Qatar, aimed at securing a lasting peace agreement that would include Taliban guarantees regarding terrorism and a phased withdrawal of American troops from Afghanistan. These peace talks, which hope to settle a nearly two-decade-long conflict in the country, impact India's Afghanistan policy and the potential for Indian-German collaboration with Afghanistan in the future. Joining us today to discuss Afghanistan's recent peace talks and its relevance to the Indian-German-Afghan policy is Aryaman Bhatnagar, a former project manager and advisor for Friedrich Ebert Stiftung India's Peace and Security Program, a Global Governance Future 2027 alumni, and a German Chancellor Fellow at the Global Public Policy Institute, where he focuses on Germany's foreign policy and its engagement with Afghanistan. In this podcast, Aryaman shares his thoughts on future challenges that policymakers in India and Germany must confront vis-à-vis its Afghan policy in light of these peace talks and the potential avenues for cooperation among them. Aryaman, welcome to the Global Futures Podcast, and it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me here, and thank you so much to you and GPPI for doing this. So let's start with the most basic question. Uh, We've recently heard about the Afghan peace talks. Can you give us a little bit of a background about what the peace talks are about, why are they relevant, and also who they involve? Uh, So I think the idea for peace talks with the Taliban started almost 10 years ago. And it was something that Germany was fairly instrumental also um, at at that point in time in 2010. Uh, The idea of the peace talks uh, came from from the realization that there is no uh, military solution to the the war in Afghanistan. And for the longest time, I think uh, the idea has been to find a political settlement with the Taliban. Uh, The problem has always been that what sort of, what form that uh, settlement would take. Uh, So at this point in time, uh, issues that had come up in 2010 are still there. Uh, The idea is to first uh, figure out uh, whether there will be uh, to to agree upon a ceasefire uh, between the two parties, uh, which being the Afghan government and the Taliban, the withdrawal of foreign troops from Afghanistan, uh, what the political system or political setup in Afghanistan would look like Uh, once the Taliban does agree to come to a peace agreement, how they're going to be integrated and how the achievements or gains that have been there since, uh, have been achieved since 2001 uh, would be consolidated and uh, protected within the Afghan constitution that has been there since the early 2000s. And uh, also uh, an assurance from the Taliban that there will be, uh, that Afghanistan's not going to be a safe haven for insurgent groups in the in the future, so I think these are the five elements. Uh, there's obviously a give and take from both sides. Uh, there's been no agreement so far, despite multiple attempts at uh, reaching this uh, agreement. This is the sixth round of the peace talks, right? Uh, this is the sixth round of this new attempt at the peace talks, which was started in uh, late last year. Uh, with the uh, initiative of the United States. And these talks are unfortunately taking place only between the US government and the Taliban. So that's interesting because you said in the 10, 10 years ago when they started this peace talk, or perhaps even more, it, it was about finding ceasefire, finding some kind of settlement between the Taliban and the Afghan government. If one reads the newspapers, one of the first things you realize about the Taliban is their refusal to accept or recognize the Afghan government. Can you tell us a little bit about why that's the case? 
So I think uh, when Hamid Karzai was in uh, power in Kabul, uh, the Taliban was very categorical that this is not a legitimate Afghan government. They still see themselves as the legitimate government that was in power in the 1990s and they were overthrown by the US in 2001. So they continue to see themselves as the legitimate ruling power uh, in Afghanistan. Whether they realistically believe that they can rule the country or not is a different debate. I don't think that there's a realization within the Taliban as well that they are not the force that they were in the 1990s. But as far as narratives go, that's the one that they would like uh, to go with. So I think this belief has continued even uh, this this perception will continue uh, irrespective of who is in uh, uh, whoever the personality is in in Kabul uh, whether it's Karzai whether it's Ashraf Ghani or whoever comes uh, next uh, whenever the next elections are taken place so for Taliban it's the US that has propped up the government in Kabul they are the ones that support it and they are the ones who are calling the shots that's the Taliban's perception and the narrative that they want to peddle and therefore for them it's important to talk directly to the US because they believe that they are the ones calling the shot, not the uh, government in power. If the Taliban says or their perception is that the Afghan government is illegitimate, does the Taliban then have support? Does it, does it, gain, does it have the, the local public support of the Afghan people? I think it's, it's difficult to ascertain what uh, level of popular support they have. I think there are there will be some degree of support for the Taliban as well. Uh, therefore, they get uh, recruitment. They, therefore, they are able to recruit people as well. Uh, they do have control. Uh, they threaten about seventy percent of the districts of the provinces in Afghanistan, which roughly amounts to about fifty percent of the population. This is just threatened. It doesn't mean that they can hold control over them. I think they do have much greater control in in certain provinces in the south and east but large parts of the country that are not Pashtun dominated, which is the uh, main ethnic group that comprises the Taliban, is, is generally not, are not the groups that uh, would support the Taliban. And those are also the groups that have the most concern regarding the outcome of the peace talks. How would you describe the outcome of the peace talk now that you mentioned that? So I think uh, nothing concrete has come of it as yet. I think... Uh, there is greater progress as compared to before, just simply from the fact that talks are still going on. I think this is this is probably the fact that they've already spoken six times in the last uh, over the la- last six seven months is probably the most sustained and consistent effort that has been uh, there from both sides. So I would say that that is probably the only progressive thing that I would take, uh, or the only thing that can be counted as a progress from this having talks about talks having talks no but i think it's it's finally moved beyond the idea of having talks about talks so i would say that that's a good that's probably the only positive to come out of the talks the concern is that because earlier the talks about the talks were about establishing certain prerequisites for having talks an assurance from the taliban that there will be a ceasefire that they will not support al-qaeda isis or any other militant uh, terrorist group on Afghan soil and that they will respect the Afghan constitution. Now, these have become the end goals. So it also goes to show how the momentum has shifted, on-ground on momentum has shifted from the international community and the, and the Afghan government uh, in favor of the Taliban. So I think 
these are issues that have there's still not been any agreement upon. I think uh, uh, Zalmay Khalilzad, who is the U.S. representative for these talks and who's spearheading them, uh, had earlier said that there's a framework agreement on the U.S. withdrawal or the withdrawal of international troops from Afghanistan, which is the Taliban's main demand, and that there is uh, an assurance from the Taliban that they will not harbor terrorist groups on Afghan soil. But there's nothing to suggest that they will respect the constitution, they will respect women's rights, uh, they will respect the political democratic system that is in power in uh, Kabul, or just simply the fact that there's been no sign from the Taliban to suggest that they are willing to hold talks with Kabul. So I think taken all that, like the fact that they are still sustained talks, I, I, as in I'm just wondering what is it that they've been talking in six rounds if they haven't reached an agreement as yet. Just to give it a little bit of a context, the most recent peace talks, uh, which is the sixth round, started off on May 1st in Doha in Qatar. And just yesterday, um, there was report that there was a bomb blast in Kabul, which was, uh, and the Taliban took claim of that, and they were targeting uh, a U.S. target. Um, and this is coming off the back of these peace talks between U.S. representatives and Taliban negotiators. What does that tell you about how Afghanistan, how, how the Taliban perceive these peace talks? What is the message do you think they're trying to send? I think uh, this has been a consistent argument that's been made by anyone who's skeptical of the talks. The fact that the Taliban announced their annual spring offensive at a time when the talks were ongoing. Uh, because for them, if you look at it, if you try to look at it from the Taliban's perspective, uh, there's no assurance. If, 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 if Kabul and Washington DC believe that the Taliban's not going to uphold its side of the bargain, uh, the Taliban also feels that there's been no assurance from uh, DC or Kabul to uh, for a ceasefire as well. So I think it's it's ultimately who has the better bargaining position when you're at the negotiating table. So I think that's why the Taliban will always continue to follow a dual strategy of coming to the table, but at the same time trying to con to push the international community and Kabul into a corner by making as many military gains as possible, which in turn could help them gain a lot more at the negotiating table. Basically suggesting that they are the power and they yes. are the ones you have yeah. to deal with yeah. and they are in control. Let's switch gears a little bit. You, you, I know you've worked on uh, the Afghanistan, India, Pakistan security uh, portfolio for, for quite some time. Give us a little sense of India's reaction to the peace talks. So I think for India, the concern with the current uh, peace talks, uh, which is the direct ones between the U.S. government and Taliban, is that the Afghan government has been uh, has been isolated in the process. Uh, that uh, Afghan representatives are not uh, at the negotiating table. Ghani has not been involved from the beginning in the process, and it's essentially between DC and Taliban that the talks are taking place. And I think for India. It, it's it's maintained a consistent stand over the last eight nine years now that we that New Delhi supports peace talks in Afghanistan. They support the idea of engagement with the Taliban, but it has to be an Afghan-led and Afghan-owned process because for them it should be Kabul that should be driving the agenda and not any other party, even if it's the U.S. 
I guess a peaceful, prosperous, uh, stable Afghanistan is in everyone's interest, but why is it important for India? Why is Afghanistan important for the Indian government? So I think uh, firstly is the security angle, the fact that it's in your neighborhood. It's not, there's no direct uh, land border. I think there's a, sm there's a very uh, short strip of land somewhere in the north if you, uh, that the Wakhan corridor, which is supposed to give some sort of land contiguity, physical contiguity to India and Afghanistan. But in general, it's not, they're not physically connected, but uh, there has been in the 1990s, the situation in Afghanistan has given India a precedence of what could happen if Afghanistan is unstable or there are elements ruling Kabul that are not conducive to Indian interests. Uh, you have the hijacking of the Indian Airlines, uh, of the Air India uh, flight from Kathmandu, which then went to Kandahar. Um, you have uh, evidence of, of the Lashkar-e-Taiba and other Pakistani groups uh, having training camps in, in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan in the 1990s. Just for our listeners to know, Lashkar-e-Taiba was also the terrorist group that was uh, behind the 2008 bombings in Mumbai, in yes. India. Okay. So that's the security angle that, you know, like it's in your neighborhood, you want a, a government that is not going to be antithetical to uh, India, uh, that is not going to be antithet antithetical to the idea of a prosperous democratic uh, periphery in India's neighborhood, because I think India is also very uh, conscious of how its uh, neighborhood shapes up. Um, there's also a geostrategic aspect to it where a lot of people have described Afghanistan as India's litmus test that, you know, if you cannot control your neighborhood, if you cannot be a driving force for peace and prosperity in your own neighborhood, how do you expect to be a bigger player on the, on the larger global stage? Litmus test, it can, it can be. It certainly, of course, I see where you're coming from, but you've very carefully managed to tiptoe around another country in the border uh, of India, which is Pakistan. What's your take on the important... Well, because you can't talk about India and Afghanistan without talking about yeah. Pakistan. Yeah. So I think the Pakistan angle is kind of... The, the security aspect of why Afghanistan is important is... Uh, to a large extent, or uh, it's it's connected mostly to the Pakistan factor, uh, and it's also linked to how India views the peace talks in Afghanistan. So, for India, the objective, overwhelming objective, vis-a-vis -vis Afghanistan, is not just to have a peaceful and stable Afghanistan, but also to have a sovereign, independent Afghanistan as far as its defense and foreign policy is concerned. And by that, it means that the 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 government in kabul should be strong enough to make independent decisions without the influ overwhelming influence of an external actor which for india means pakistan because india believes that and and it's not just an indian belief i think there is uh, the literature and evidence would support the argument that for pakistan indian presence in afghanistan is a major security threat uh, Pakistan does fear strategic entrapment from Afghanistan on one side and India on the other. So one of its objectives towards uh, Afghanistan, uh, not just since 2001, but even earlier, has been to reduce Indian influence uh, in that country. So And, and that has uh, unfortunately played out in the way of uh, targeting Indian assets uh, in Afghanistan, be it aid workers, uh, be it the consulates, be it the embassy. And there have been repeated uh, attacks on Indian. So while attacks on India may have reduced 
somewhat uh, uh, between 2001 and 2013 or 2012-13 uh, the attacks on indian targets in uh, afghanistan had increased so for india the that pakistan angle will always remain and so conversely for india an objective vis-a-vis -vis afghanistan has been to reduce uh, afghanistan's dependence on pakistan to reduce uh, pakistan's to create a scenario where pakistan may not be in a position to to drive the agenda as far as the peace talks are concerned or as far as the foreign policy or defense policy of Afghanistan is concerned. You mentioned foreign policy. Uh, what is India's foreign policy towards Afghanistan? And with that, the second question is, how likely is Indian government uh, to engage the Taliban? So I think to answer your first question, it's something that I'd, I'd repeat in the sense that the policy is to ensure that there is a stable, prosperous Afghanistan, and that. But what is the Indian foreign policy to to encourage that, to to enable that for Afghanistan? Uh, so there's been a lot of uh, aid and uh, development assistance that has been given to Kabul, uh, to has been given to Afghanistan with the objective of strengthening uh, the democratically elected uh, actors uh, in power in Afghanistan to increase their legitimacy among the Afghan population to show that they can deliver on basic things like health, education, infrastructure. These are the areas where India has contributed substantially since 2001, among uh, other things, uh, of course. Uh, so the idea is to prop up a government uh, in Afghanistan through development aid, through political aid, through diplomatic aid, to ensure that it can stand on its own feet, that it, it's strong enough to uh, to reduce its dependency on uh, Pakistan or that it does not come under the influence of Pakistan, that it has an outlet and, a, and, and an ally uh, in India. At the same time, India has also built up uh, uh, relations with uh, other actors within uh, Afghanistan. So it has engaged with both Pashtuns and non-Pashtuns with different uh, mainstream Afghan uh, leaders since not just since 2001 but even in the 90s 80s and 70s so that, that's been a consistent policy uh, as far as India has been concerned as well that it's always supported the government in power but it has also built up its own network uh, within Afghanistan uh, since 2001 India has consciously reached out to the Pashtun community uh, to the extent that it has caused some sort of a backlash from the non-Pashtun uh, groups uh, within Afghanistan uh, as well. That India, uh, that uh, successive diplomats and ambassadors went to Afghanistan with the mandate of increasing India's uh, uh, influence among the Pashtuns because that's the group that is seen as being the most closely aligned with uh, Pakistan, that's at least the perception within New Delhi. So you want to have a much stronger presence uh, within that uh, ethnic group. Uh, so that's been done in the form of uh, support to both uh, Karzai and Ghani and ignoring at times when Karzai's uh, policies were increasingly being seen within Afghanistan as the Pashtunization of, uh, of, of the political uh, setup. Uh, so India chose to publicly still back him. A lot of the small development projects that India ran were in the south and east of uh, Afghanistan, which again is uh, Pashtun uh, strongholds. So uh, India has systematically tried to build alliances and networks within the Pashtun community since 2001. And, uh, and I think I, I, there was an analyst in India, I'm forgetting who, who said that 
since 2001 this is the first time that india has such a strong presence among the pashtun community mm-hmm. very interesting uh, let, let me just yeah, yeah. finish please. no uh, because i wanted to answer your second question mm-hmm. also regarding the taliban uh, we can come back to that no, later. No. okay so in the, i think even right now there have been talks there have been reports that india is looking to reach out to the taliban uh, india's uh, military chief had also said that india should uh, directly engage with the taliban now uh, which was uh, quickly refuted by india's uh, foreign minister because they didn't want to give uh, any sort of confu- they didn't want to create any sort of confusion uh, among the their afghan allies that you know that we are uh, we are reaching out uh, to the taliban as well so there has been contact between india and taliban i think the biggest objective of india by reaching out to the taliban was to ensure protection for its own assets in afghanistan i think they wanted to uh, reach some sort of an understanding with them that indian uh, targets uh, would not be uh, attacked uh, there's also um, an attempt to gain intelligence not just on the taliban to figure out its the different factions its ideology its uh, motivations but also to gauge what sort of a relationship it has with pakistan so that you can identify the factions the leaders that you that could probably provide you some leverage uh, vis-a-vis the taliban as well as uh, with respect to pakistan so there has been engagement it's not been the most successful and i think the reason for that also is that the taliban itself is cautious of dealing with india i think they do realize india's importance in the region they do realize india's importance for afghanistan as well but and they realize that india has a lot of goodwill in afghanistan so i think they are conscious of that but they are also conscious of the fact that pakistan is not uh, th- th- that this could be a red line for pakistan as well closer relations between the taliban and india uh, which would have repercussions for taliban leaders as well who are dependent on pakistan for haven uh, for a safe haven as well as for some sort of support the only group that has been a red line for india within the taliban as far as engagement goes is the haqqani network and these are the group and this is the group that has been responsible for uh, targeting indian consulates and embassies in the past has been responsible for targeting the us embassy in afghanistan as well so and is generally seen as the group that is most closely aligned uh, to pakistan Talking about engaging different actors, let me switch gears a little bit. You are the German Chancellor Fellow um, at GPPI this year. Um, you did mention that uh, Germany played a very instrumental role um, almost a decade ago in 2010 for the, the peace talks. Um, why is this important for Germany? What is Germany's role in, in Afghanistan? So I think historically... Um as in, and and before i start on why afghanistan is important to germany i i find it extremely curious that afghanistan is not discussed more in germany given that german troops are still in afghanistan it's the second largest contingent of troops uh, in afghanistan at the moment at the peak of the us surge they contributed the third highest number of troops they are the uh, afghanistan is the largest recipient of german development assistance and germany is the second largest donor nation to afghanistan so germany on paper has played a significant role in afghanistan uh, it's the first time that uh, german troops uh, went outside of uh, europe it's the first time since world war 2 that german troops have been involved in combat operations there have been war casualties 
there have been political backlash and repercussions for governments in successive governments in Berlin as well because of their involvement in Afghanistan. So I think just keeping all this in mind, I feel that what happens in Afghanistan is extremely important for Germany, not just from the present scenario, but also in terms of just being such a significant chapter in Germany's uh, contemporary uh, foreign policy and uh, you know military engagements. And why do you think it's not discussed more? I think it's not discussed more. The sense that I get is that it's something that Germany is kind of, and not just Germany, but the international community in general, including the US, that it's, they feel that there is not much more that can be done. And I think it's about uh, managing the situation now. Uh, so there are uh, greater priorities for Germany, which I can completely understand that it's not uh, in its neighborhood. Um, there is the buffer of Middle East, and that's hardly a buffer given the situation in the Middle East and what it's uh, the impact it's had on Germany. Uh, the situation within the EU, relations with the US, uh, relations with Russia. So it's, it's clear that there are greater priorities uh, for Germany, and it's not like India where Afghanistan is in its neighborhood, and therefore it could have a direct security uh, or strategic impact uh, on Germany as well. Afghanistan does not then fall under Germany's uh, direct priorities at the moment. Uh, it's not something that German policymakers would spend too much political capital on uh, either. Uh, and it's about managing a, a respectable withdrawal from uh, Afghanistan. Well, I mean, India is certainly a, a priority country for German policymakers because of trade and economics. Are Germany and India somehow also collaborating on the Afghanistan question? I think you, you kind of answered that slightly also when you said that it's for trade and economic reasons. I think that's the general thrust of India-German relations. Um, and I don't think that that strategic component has really uh, kicked in as yet. And this is the impression that you get both from Indian and German diplomats that India and Germany are very content with keeping their relations right now as a trading economic uh, on, on that front so just uh, like from a broader perspective that strategic defense cooperation and stuff is fairly limited so within that overall framework Afghanistan's a very small component where they discuss the situation so that it's a bullet point in joint statements or within uh, a particular bullet point in a joint statement but there is no actual discussion as yet uh, whether the two can uh, collaborate with each other in Afghanistan. But still begs the question, if it's not spoken about so much today in uh, German political debate, uh, if the Afghanistan question isn't uh, so widely discussed, then why was it so important in 2010? What was it that made Germany so instrumental back then? So what had happened in 2010 was that that there was an outreach from the Afghan Taliban to the to the German government, to the German intelligence, um, to to inquire about the prospects of having direct talks with the U.S. So I think that is what Germany had facilitated in 2010, and I think that's when the first direct talks between the Taliban and the U.S. government had started. Since then, Germany hasn't been an active uh, facilitator or participant in the peace talks. But it was in 2010 that Germany had played a, a pivotal uh, 
role uh, as as far as the peace talks are concerned why the taliban approached the germans uh, i'm not very clear about but one of the answers i've got is that there is a significantly large afghan community uh, living in germany since the 1970s and um, that could have perhaps been one of the reasons why uh, they saw germany as maybe a a good uh, you know the uh, facilitating power for you know rather than reaching out to the us uh, directly and what what prospects do you see for indian german collaboration in afghanistan moving forward i feel that there is potential uh, unfortunately not in the security sector because uh, germany will not do anything in the security sector that is outside the ambit uh, outside the framework of nato's uh, role in afghanistan and india has been very conscious of not uh, collaborating or not uh, of not collaborating with nato on afghanistan or routing their security or military aid uh, through nato where they will not have control over what happens uh, uh, with that cooperation so so i think uh, i think the security a- angle is possibly a non starter uh but i think there is a lot of potential in the development sector because both countries have done substantial work and there has been overlap also in the areas that they've uh, worked on uh, germany's done a lot of work in the in the education and and health uh, sectors they've done a lot of, lot of work in the energy sector um, as well as uh, some urban infrastructure and this is something that india has been involved in actively since 2001 as well so this is definitely one of the areas where the two countries could collaborate with one another uh, geographically within afghanistan also there is uh, northern afghanistan which is where germany has been actively involved since 2001 or since 2003 uh, where india and germany could collaborate and that would suit india's interests as well because that's the constituency that india would like to increase its engagement with as well which is the non pashtun uh, groups there whether uh, there is political will to do it or not is is a different uh, like all this sounds really good academically speaking but i don't know if there is substantial political will to or even conversations on on this line uh, the general feeling that i've got is that there isn't and i think that's also to do not uh the one of the answers i've got from um, some conversations with germans that i've had here is that germany is not really looking for this triangular development uh, cooperation so germany is happy to uh work bilaterally with afghanistan where they uh facilitate these development projects but they don't want to get involved and they are happy to work bilaterally with india in india but i think this triangular cooperation is a model that Germany doesn't seem particularly uh, keen on uh, within Afghanistan although India has worked in that model with the US uh, with the World Food Program with specific US uh, agencies as well It's interesting we mentioned Germany we mentioned India we mentioned the United States these are all democratic countries uh, trying to support Afghanistan to become a stable uh, secure uh, part of the region yet it's the Taliban that are sitting at the negotiating table with their American counterparts and the Taliban have vehemently opposed uh, elections in Afghanistan saying that this is a western concept imposed on Afghan people this is almost like a non-starter uh, for them to to say we want elections we want a democratic uh, Afghanistan what do you think are the prospects for future peace talks or the future of Afghanistan when something as simple as uh, exercising 
vote, voting rights, uh, so to speak, is, is a non, non-starter for the Taliban. I'll be very honest. I don't know how that uh, future political arrangement is going to look like because it would require significant amount of concessions. It, it seems that it would require a significant amount of concessions from uh, the international community and from the Afghan government and the Afghan civil society in order to bring Taliban into the mainstream uh, because what is the incentive for the Taliban right now to give up arms and come into the mainstream fold? There was a peace agreement with another uh, Taliban insurgent called Gulbuddin Hekmatya. This is, I think, some three, four years ago. And that was largely symbolic because Hekmatya was a spent force by the time that the peace agreement was reached with him. And I think Kabul was happy to go ahead uh, with an uh, arrangement with him because they realized that they are not conceding anything to him. They allowed, they essentially gave him amnesty for all his crimes. They allowed him to become a part of the mainstream political system, which part of his uh, political movement already was. So one part was uh, waging an insurgency, the other part was a mainstream political party. So it was easy to integrate him into the political system because you didn't have to give any concessions to him. It's completely different with the Taliban and uh, I, I don't know how you're going to reach that. Uh, it, it may have been very different in 2010 and 2014, but at this point in time, it just I, I cannot see a feasible scenario where the Taliban will not gain a lot more from these uh, talks than the Afghan government. A final thought from you, Aryaman. Um, the Afghan instability, let's call it that, has been in its 18th year now. The U.S. invasion after September 11th started in 2001. 18 years later, we're still here. We're still doing the peace talks. Uh, we're still trying to find an answer for a stable and secure um, environment for Afghan people. What are your own personal, um, let's say, where do you where do you think this is going to go? What, what does your gut feeling tell you? I feel it's... Uh... I'll be very honest, I have a very skeptical view of the situation. Uh, that's also because I'm not on the ground, so it's uh, a lot based on what you read and what you hear and what you discuss with people who are based there. It seems that it's going to be a lot like what it is right now and possibly get worse depending on how the US uh, plays its role. And I think at one point in time, there was a lot of optimism when Trump announced his new policy two years ago and said that, you know, that we are not going to work on a timeline and we are going to uh, remain in Afghanistan depending on the ground situation there. And that suddenly seemed in one year later, that seems to have changed where now there seems to be a greater urgency. And what Trump said when he was elected, that he's keen to withdraw from Afghanistan. So it, it all depends on how the U.S., plays its uh, role uh, in Afghanistan because even in the 1980s and 1990s it wasn't the Soviet withdrawal which brought the government down. It was when Soviet Union disintegrated and Russia decided that it cannot continue supporting uh, Najibullah in, in Kabul that the government fell within a few weeks. So I think that is, uh, that is what possibly could happen with uh, this government as well. And if that does happen, what happens after that is... As in, there can be multiple scenarios. Uh, I can't think of how it would be a rosy, positive uh, scenario. This does sound quite bleak, uh, but maybe we end on a slightly uplifting note that we wish Afghanistan and Afghan people nothing less than peace and prosperity. 
And with that, Ariman, I want to say thank you very much for joining us today. It was definitely enlightening, and uh, thank you for shedding some more light on the recent peace talks. And uh, we hope to have you back again with us. Thank you so much. This was great. And once again, thank you so much for having me here. This episode of the Global Futures Podcast was presented by me, Joel Sandu, and produced by my colleague, Sonia Sugurbova from the Global Public Policy Institute. Our guest today was Aryaman Batnagar. For a full list of Global Governance Futures products, including scenario reports, opinion pieces, interviews, and other podcasts, visit ggfutures.net forward slash analysis.